We're going to begin reading in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Peter writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks to us with the same authority as if Jesus Christ himself were here speaking to us today. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. God, we are so grateful that we've had the privilege to read, to sing, to confess, to pray. And now as we turn our attention to your preached word, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of the gospel as it has been decisively revealed in the word of God. We pray that you would encourage us believers. Today is a wonderful day of celebration. And Father, for those who are perhaps with us this morning who are not yet Christians, may today be the day of salvation for them. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord of the Rings author J.R.R. Tolkien once noted that in our best stories, there is a ring of truth, something that echoes the great reality described in the Bible. The Bible tells a story about the world that we live in. It's a true story of a glorious creation and a terrible rebellion and the links to which God went to put things right again. That's the story that we live in and then shapes our reality every day. But have you ever noticed that almost every great epic story moves along the same basic plot structure? The story begins at some happy time in a situation that you wish could last forever. Then comes a problem which threatens the early happiness. Some villain comes onto the scene and presents some type of difficulty. Next, a hero emerges to solve the problem, and we get caught up in their success as they begin to put wrong things right. But then the hero expresses and experiences some huge setback. And it looks like evil will prevail after all until there's some unforeseen twist and the hero emerges victorious and everyone lives happily ever after. We love those stories because they resonate with what we sense to be true or what we sense ought to be true about our world. And every day we're presented with fragments of those stories the longing for happiness in our lives, the reality of problems that each of us face, pain and disappointment, relational frustration, and a yearning for a happy ending. And together this morning, we'll trace that story in 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 22, as we learn that Christ traveled the pathway to victory to lead us to glory. Though we'll see that the way up is down. Four simple points will frame our time together. Death, descent, resurrection, ascension. Notice first, death. Look again with me at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, 
that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Peter connects this five-verse sentence, verse 18, four, with the exhortation that he just gave to the suffering community in verses 13 through 17, to encourage these men and women in these churches by highlighting for them and underscoring for them that Jesus himself also traveled the pathway of suffering. Verse 18, Christ also suffered. As you have suffered, so also Christ has suffered. He has suffered relational abandonment, betrayed by Judas, denied by Peter, deserted by all of his disciples and closest friends, physical abuse at the hands of the Roman Empire, emotional trauma in the face of false accusations, insults, threats, slander, mockery, spiritual oppression from religious leaders who were supposed to take care of him, all before he died very publicly, a cursed, shameful, brutal, cruel death on a Roman cross. Christ suffered. Christ suffered, and he suffered, verse 18, unjustly, the righteous for the unrighteous. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought all of us, if we've trusted in Christ, peace. By his wounds we have been healed. The Bible speaks of this in a way that many people have, the great exchange, the innocent for the guilty, the pure for the impure, the clean for the unclean, the sinless one for the sinful people, the righteous for the unrighteous. Friends, Jesus was holy, blameless, and above reproach, but he died for people who were alienated from God, hostile in their minds and doing evil deeds, so that, verse 18, he might bring us to God. Friends, the purpose of Christ's death was to lead you to God, to bring close those who were far off, separated from God, which is why he suffered, verse 18, for sins. God sent his own son, Jesus, and the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. There is no celebration on Easter Sunday without this message. There's no reason to gather together in a room like this. There's no purpose in celebrating and singing these songs without the death of Christ. Non-Christian here today, we are so glad that you've come. You are in the best of places. The good news that Easter holds out to you is not a message of do more or try harder or clean yourself up or be all that you can be, but Christ suffered for you, the righteous one for the unrighteous people. He did that so that he might bring you to God if you would just turn away from your sins and confess him to be your savior. Will you do that today? That is what Easter invites you to do, to turn to Christ today. You can do that right now. You can ask God to forgive you of your sins, and he will. You can ask God to save you, and he will. You can ask God to make you one of his children, and he will by faith. All you have to do is repent and believe. All you have to do is confess that you're a sinner and turn to Christ Friend, we would love to talk to you about this message. If you'd like to talk more about that, I'm gonna be at that tunnel after the service. I'd love to meet you, greet you, speak with you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please come speak with us. We gather here today to celebrate this story and we are here to tell you today that this is the greatest story the world has ever heard. But this verse wasn't written for unbelievers, was it? It was written for Christians. 
fellow believer, Christ suffered on your behalf instead of you in the place of you for you and for your sin so that he might bring you to God. So when you suffer, and you will, you need not despair or fear. For verse 18, Christ also suffered. One of the reasons that we despair in our suffering is that we forget the sufferings of Christ. He suffered for you. He suffered as an example for you, and he suffered for you. He suffered to give you hope in your suffering. Your suffering, my suffering, Our suffering is understood by the Savior, not simply because he knows all things, he does, but because he also has suffered, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps in the midst of your suffering. One of the great English hymn writers was William Cooper. He was a brilliant scholar who wrote distinguished essays for the students at Oxford and Cambridge, but his distinctly Christian work was laboring with his friend and pastor John Newton and writing hymns. But people sometimes don't know that Cooper also wrestled with deep clinical depression all of his life. More than once, he was actually institutionalized for an extended period of time in an insane asylum, only to be released and nursed back to health by a kind Christian woman who was in his local church. About a century after Cooper's death, the great poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote a three-page poem entitled Cooper's Grave in which she describes the extraordinary influence of his scholarship and all of the hymnody that he produced and his deep personal piety before alluding to his terrible, horrible dark nights of the soul. And then powerfully, she refers to Jesus' cry of desolation like this. Yea, once Emmanuel's orphaned cry, this universe has shaken It went up, single, echoless. My God, I am forsaken. It went up from the holy's lips amidst his lost creation. That of the lost, no son should use these words of desolation. For those of you unfamiliar with poetry, you might not have caught what she was actually trying to say. Jesus' agonizing cry My God, my God, I am forsaken. So that for all of eternity, William Cooper and you and me and everyone who would believe would not have to make that same cry. Fellow believer, Christ suffered so that for all of eternity, you would never have to. He has taken your place on the cross. He has given you his righteousness He has brought you from far off to near to God. And Peter tells us, you have no need to fear suffering because it does not have the last word in your life since you share the same destiny as your Lord whose suffering secured for you victory as he transitions from Christ's humiliation to Christ's exaltation. Death, notice second, descent. Look with me in verse 18. Being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Peter tells us, verse 18, that the time between his death on Good Friday and his resurrection on Easter Sunday, 
Jesus' body was actually in the grave, and his spirit was made alive. Death did not destroy Jesus. Although he was put to death in the sphere of the flesh, with reference to the flesh, in the flesh, he was made alive in the spirit, in his soul, and descended to the dead, to Sheol, to Hades, where, verse 19, he proclaimed victory over the spirits in prison. Evil spirits like those in Genesis 6, 1 through 4, who had sexual relations with women and were subsequently imprisoned, as Jude 6 teaches us, because their rebellion contributed to widespread rampant wickedness across the earth. But we should all begin to ask, why is this important for people suffering bodily harm and verbal abuse in Peter's day? I mean, who cares? Because immediately after the peak of his humiliation, suffering and death on the cross, Jesus has victory as he announces his triumph over the spirits in prison. Because in the midst of death in a tomb, Jesus has victory over evil so that they and you and I do not have to fear because evil cannot win. Evil cannot and will not ever win. Evil never wins. It may feel like it's winning, as it certainly did through the mock trials and the verbal assaults and all of the physical beatings that Jesus endured on Good Friday. It may look like it's winning, as it certainly did when Jesus stopped living according to his human nature and they wrapped him in a shroud and they put him in a tomb. But Easter teaches us things aren't always what they seem, are they? So Peter tells us that the way up is down as he teaches us that the descent is the beginning of Jesus' exaltation as Jesus proclaims victory over the spirits that are in prison. In fact, it is the first of three stops on Jesus' victory tour in this passage as Jesus proclaims victory in the realm of the dead to the spirits in prison and then in the realm of the living through his resurrection and then in the realm of the heavenly after his ascension. And his victory in the midst of death, over death, and over the spirits in prison is a proclamation to all of us that we too will have victory over death and in death and over all evil because we have identified with Christ, because of the great conqueror himself, Jesus Christ. Friends, we ask you on Easter Sunday, do you know him? We are not here asking you, do you know about him? Can you recite the Apostles' Creed? Can you tell us information about Jesus? We are asking you a different type of question. Do you know Jesus Christ? Some of the testimonies that were read to you just a few moments ago were by people who thought, I knew him. They could tell you things about him. They had read scripture passages about him, but as they testified, they did not know him. That it is possible to know all kinds of things about Jesus and not know Jesus. So we ask you, Do you know him? Friend, you can know him today. Anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved and will know him. That is the simple and astounding and wonderful message of Easter. Unbeliever, you can know him today. It's as simple for you as it was for the thief on the cross. He simply asked Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Friend, Ask him right now, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom 
Remember me. Look upon me. Forgive me. And believer, you don't have to fear suffering today because of him. You don't have to fear the shroud of death and the powers of darkness and the forces of evil and world powers because Christ experienced death like all humans do, like every single one of us will. He died and stayed dead and was buried. But in death, he reigned over death and darkness according to his divine nature, and nothing can separate us from his love, not even death, because he rules over even death. And the psalmist teaches us the astounding and wonderful truth that so many of us know. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Believer, the message of Easter to you is that he is with you. He is with you in the pain, amidst the suffering, through all of the sorrows, and his descent teaches you that he will be with you even in death. He will never leave you nor forsake you. But in case that is not clear enough for us, Peter writes, verse 20, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Now, once again, we immediately begin to ask, who cares? I mean, it's Easter after all. What do we need to know about Noah? We want to focus on Jesus. They would care because Noah's story, Peter tells us, is analogous to their story. Like them, he was ridiculed for doing God's will in a majority culture that was evil and wicked, a culture that only, verse 20, a few were saved out of through water. And God kept him safe. So Peter says, by way of analogy, God will keep them safe. But how will God keep them safe? Verse 21, baptism, which corresponds with this, now saves you. Now, we don't like that. We're Protestants, so we know that baptism doesn't save. And we're Baptists, so we're sure that baptism doesn't save. (laughs) But before we panic, careful readers notice that he says, baptism saves you, and then clarifies the statement. Verse 21, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Not as a removal of dirt, not as a removal of impurity, because our means of purification is the finished work of Christ. The righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. We plead the blood of Christ and his mercy for our forgiveness, but it saves as an appeal to God for a good conscience. When we appeal to God for our righteousness in the waters of baptism by saying, God, I need your righteousness. God, I need your victory. God, I need you to rescue me. And this baptism is a symbol of my participation in your death and my participation in your victory and my participation in the new life that you give to me and to all who trust in your son who believe in him by faith. Friends, when we're baptized, we appeal to God and we say to all the world, I have passed from death to life, verse 21 and third, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've been saved from the judgment of God, death. And this baptism is now a public proclamation that salvation in my life is found in Christ. I have died in Christ. I've been buried with Christ, but I am raised to walk in the newness of Christ's life. And this baptism is a pledge to Jesus who died and descended and rose from the dead for me. Baptism is the initial sign of the covenant 
because it symbolizes our union with Christ. It announces the gospel, and it actually sets us apart as God's children, just like Noah and his family were set apart. And it proclaims to all of the world that the judgment of God is coming. The flood of God's wrath will be poured out on all the world. And only those who are identified as God's children because of their faith in Christ will be saved from the flood of God's judgment. Unbeliever. Let me ask you, are you acting and living as if judgment is never coming? You carry out your life as every day will be like it's always been. And there will be no consequences for the way that you live. As if no one is noticing and no one is watching and no one cares. And no one will ever take action. Friends, the message of Easter is that someone is watching and they are paying very careful attention to all of the details of our life. God has judged sin in Christ for those he loves. But for any who do not trust in his Christ, the judgment of God is coming. So we proclaim what we always proclaim. Trust Christ and be baptized. Repent and be saved. Believe and be born again. And believer, remember your baptism today as you witness these baptisms in just a few moments and let them be a source of great encouragement to you, especially when you're going through the waters of suffering and death because they remind you that you will ultimately experience victory and life. Death does not have the last word for you. Suffering does not have the last word for you. Life has the last word for you, believer, because of Jesus Christ. We've seen our hero in this story already. Jesus, he has died. He has descended. He is raised. But thankfully, the story is not over yet. Death, descent, resurrection. Notice fourth, ascension. Who has gone to heaven, verse 22, and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. The resurrected Christ of verse 21 is the ascended Christ, verse 22, and he rules over all. Angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him because, verse 22, he has gone into heaven at the right hand of God. So now Peter tells us Jesus rules over everything. He rules over everything under the earth through his descent and on the earth because of his resurrection and in the heavenly realm because he has ascended. And his ascension assures us that he will reign forever. He is the supreme Lord and ruler who died, descended, raised, and ascended on high. All authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth has been given to Jesus Christ. Therefore, believers, you and I have nothing to fear because you will be brought safely through it all and you will reign with him. So let me ask you the, Peter, the question that Peter asked in verse 13. If we really believe the Easter message, we gather with such great excitement. We love to put on the pastel colors and come with all of our friends and sing. But if we really believe the Easter message, let me ask you, who is there to harm you? No one. What can the enemy ultimately do to you? Nothing. You don't have the fear of suffering because of Christ. You don't have the fear of death because of Christ. You don't have the fear of evil, so stop living like terrified people because of Christ. You do not have to fear judgment 
because of Christ. You don't have to fear anything because of Christ. So don't look at your persecutors and don't look at your pain. Look to Christ. Look to what he has done. He died. He descended. He raised and he ascended. He is ruling and he is reigning. And he promises every believer in this room, you will reign forever. You will triumph forever. You will be blessed forever. You are God's children and you have hope forever. You have absolutely nothing to fear. That is the Easter message. You have every reason to live a hope-filled life for the rest of your life. I did not say you have every reason to have a painless life for the rest of your life. You might have a very painful life. And it might be harder than you ever wanted it to be. And there might be more tears than you ever thought that you would shed. The message of Easter is not one that is painless. It is one that is filled with pain but gives us great hope regardless. Easter is a reminder, a proclamation that Jesus is victorious. And if he is victorious in his suffering and through his death, you will be victorious in your suffering and through your death because Christ traveled the pathway to victory to lead us to glory. Because of the resurrection, Jesus' final day wasn't really his final day. Jesus has no final day. There is always a tomorrow for him. And for those of us who are trusting in him, our death is not our last day either. If you're a Christian, this story is the story that you're living in. It's a better story than the Lord of the Rings, though that's a really good story. Don't watch the movies, read the books. It's a story whose ending you know and whose climax one day you will enjoy. You may not know all of the points that are along the plot line from here to, now, uh, to then, but you can be certain that it will have a happy ending because it did for Jesus. The death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ means that you like the Apostle Paul, can say with absolute confidence today, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel story. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I can face today. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I can face the pain. Because he lives, I can live in hope. And Father, we pray that we would trust in the precious work of our Lord Christ today, reminding ourselves of the great hope that he has secured for us. And we pray that that work would be proclaimed for all present, upstairs and downstairs and everywhere today, that they might know the forgiveness of Christ and the mercy of Christ and the liberation that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ in his death and his descent and his resurrection and his ascension. Father, help us to celebrate with great confidence these baptisms because we know though we die, yet shall we live. Amen.